Scott Walker here, and you can't recall Courage. Thanks for joining us on our weekly podcast. What a wild uh, week it's been. In fact, uh, I'm actually here in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. I left on Wednesday uh, afternoon and spent all day Thursday and now part of Friday here in Phoenix talking to supporters of Young America's Foundation. I won't be starting that full-time until the beginning of next year, about this time in 2021. A great organization started by William F. Buckley. Ronald Reagan was once the president. And uh, for decades now, they've had an impact on really providing a positive influence on young minds and colleges and now increasingly even in high school where they bring in common sense conservative ideas. You know, the wonders of the free market, free enterprise, freedom overall, strong national defense, as we saw this week, yet another reminder of how incredibly important that is, and just basic conservative values. Uh, next year, we'll be focused on taking an organization that Ron Robinson has built into the premier conservative youth organization in the world and really taking it a step further, hopefully, to have campuses or to have chapters, I should say, on campuses, not just the 500, some they have now, but on every campus, not only every four-year campus, but every two-year campus, a greater presence in high school, even starting in the pre-teens. But uh, uh, enough of that. We'll come back and talk about that more at some point in the future. Uh, it was a good time to be uh, taken off to uh, the Phoenix because on Wednesday before I left, walking over my office along the Milwaukee River, I used my Milwaukee electric tool, electric jacket, because it was, uh, well, it was below 20 degrees. When it's in the teens, it's time to put on the electric jacket. I don't care how tough you are. It's, uh, it's always a good time to use electric jacket. Uh, just, uh, well, I use it when I go to Packers and Badgers games, snowmobiling, um, ice fishing, you name it. You can't beat it. There's electric electric gloves the kids got for me this year, and I, I used that as well when I went, uh, went hunting back in November. Anyway, uh, today's podcast, though, isn't about me and, and isn't about uh, electric jackets or warm temperatures in Phoenix or uh, Bonita Springs, where we'll be for the remainder of this next week. We'll be watching... The Green Bay Packers win yet another playoff game, hopefully it coming this Sunday, on their way to returning to reclaiming the Lombardi Trophy. I always think it, it just makes sense. The Lombardi Trophy belongs uh, in the house that uh, Vince Lombardi really rocked, even though Lambeau built it, or it's built for Lambeau. Uh, Vince Lombardi, of course, the iconic coach of the Green Bay Packers, an interesting tidy, yeah, in the Reagan Ranch, uh, the ranch that President Mrs. Reagan uh, had, uh, which is now owned and operated by Yaf. There's only two books on his bookshelf because everything's the same way it once was. The boots, clothes, hats, uh, appliances are all still the same as the Reagans had. The books as well, an interesting array of books, but only two sports books. One about Coach George Allen, the other about Coach Vince Lombardi. So anyway, we'll be cheering in warm climates for that as well. But this week was an amazing week. Uh, I, you know, it's interesting thinking about how to respond to all this. I was flabbergasted, although I guess I shouldn't be because it's time. The only thing worse is Newsweek, which I don't even think has a print edition anymore, but occasionally they're still online with absurd analysis and observations. But, but time did this story about how parents should be talking to their children. And I tweeted out, it's simple. They should be uh, talking to their children, if at all, most of the time. Just let your kids be kids. Let them do their, their homework and play and 
do all sorts of fun things, and most importantly, spend time with them. But if they are asking about Iran, it's pretty simple. There was an evil, evil man, and he's gone now. I mean, that's about as simple as it is. In fact, when I think about this, I, I'm always amazed as to how the media and liberals, often indistinguishable, totally screw things up. I mean, it's simple. They killed an American citizen. They attacked our embassy. In fact, they, they actually attacked the same embassy they attacked years ago, back at the end of the 1970s, when uh, Iranians held Americans hostage for 444 days. One of them was Kevin Hermaning, the, the youngest of all the hostages, a Marine who'd just gotten there. He's now lives in Wausau, Wisconsin, north central Wisconsin. Kevin's a good friend of mine. And I, I think about that same embassy. In fact, ironically, CNN the other day, you can't make this stuff up. CNN had on air a woman from Iran defending uh, the Iranian government, talking about how they were going to seek revenge. Little known to the audience, this is the same woman who was the spokesperson at the time back in 1979 for the people who were who were the hostage takers, the, the people who held the Americans hostage in the American embassy in Iran. Again, you just can't make this stuff up. So think about it. They killed an American citizen. They attacked our embassy. They were already acting as if they were at war with the United States. President Donald Trump gave them a clear warning. Then he took action. He doesn't want a war with Iran, but, but failing to respond to these actions, I think, would have been gross incompetence. Despite the left's claims that somehow this would start a new war, it really hasn't. Yeah, after three days of mourning and protest, some would argue carefully uh, planned and executed uh, protest uh, in mourning, the Iranian leaders needed some act of revenge to save face at home. I, I don't think it was a mistake that they chose guided missile attacks at night. So it was clear, not, not just at home, but around the world. People could see it. It, it appeared all over television in Iran and on our TV sets and others around the world. And it wasn't a mistake that they chose it this way. In fact, this was a very public demonstration of their actions. And what's particularly interesting is it was not done from some proxy. It was done on Iran. The missiles took off from Iranian territory. To me, that's further proof that this was sanctioned right to the top by the Ayatollah. Uh, it's remarkable when you think about it. And then, so they, they had to make a clear sign of revenge. Uh, they targeted an Iraqi base, which wasn't too far from the territory where they shot off the missiles. They knew it was a base where U.S. military personnel were stationed at, but, and I don't think it was any surprise, they did not kill any Americans. This clearly was not a mistake. I think Iran's leaders wanted to prove that they would seek revenge, but they would do so without escalating into war, a war they could not win. The foreign minister as much as said that, that that once the action was done, this was this was the end. They weren't seeking any more. This was a sign, and I think it's a reminder that unlike what happened under former President Barack Obama, where he drew a red line in Syria and kept allowing people to cross it, President Trump will not, will not tolerate the crossing of any red lines. His was the killing of an American citizen. Remember, I pointed out last week on Facebook and Twitter that General Petraeus, who should be clear, is not a big fan of President Trump, obviously worked in the, as the CIA director in President Obama, but who the last couple of years has clearly not been uh, a fan of the current president. 
But he noted in a rather lengthy interview, uh, just shortly after the initial response, that he believed the president may have helped reestablish deterrence in the region. I think another way of pointing that out is he was right, and, and we see what happened. And I, for one, wouldn't look for Iran to mess with the United States anytime soon. They know what's going to happen, and they don't want to test it. For them, they need to have revenge so they could save face at home and to keep power and their structure there, an increasingly difficult time, as people are starting to realize, even within the country, how horrible the atrocities have been against the Iranian people, let alone targets elsewhere in the world. And so, in many ways, for what the left and, and a good chunk of those in the media claimed was going to be getting us into war, the opposite was true. By being aggressive, it actually kept us out of war. It's interesting. It, I would have loved to have joined the panel the other day. My, my wife told me she had to tune in for a little bit of Elizabeth Warren on The View, and, and uh, they went through some of this, and many of these points were lost off. It's a, it's a bit of an of a, a incredible bias. Um, John McCain's daughter is on there and occasionally pops up with some good things, but she's incredibly outnumbered. They also went off on The View about playing some clip from Lindsey Graham and some of the things he said back in the late 1990s, uh, when he was uh, defending Republicans going after Bill Clinton. Of course, they, they raised it as some sort of stink, suggesting that he was uh, inconsistent with his statements today about impeachment. Uh, little known, at least to that TV audience, was there are many, many, many more video clips of Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi saying just the opposite, that back in the 1990s, they were defending Bill Clinton and said this was a ridiculous partisan witch hunt, saying that uh, the American people wanted us to move on, saying all sorts of things out there. And the American people in the polling at the time clearly showed that they did, right or wrong, and they're showing it now. I mean, the interesting thing about impeachment is that, uh, well, a number of interesting things, is while the public sentiment in many ways is similar, that that they're fed up with it. They don't like one-sided, partisan-only efforts to impeach any president. Uh, they'd rather have people in Washington focus on getting things done that matter to their lives, which is why I think in the end this will actually help the president, particularly in battleground states like Wisconsin and Michigan and Ohio and Pennsylvania and elsewhere. But the, uh, they, what they particularly don't like hypocrisy. And so for folks to talk high on one way and then to look back and see that they made just the opposite argument years ago. Now, in Lindsey Graham's defense, I think you can make, although there are some similarities, you, you can make a, a distinction between the two. In the instance of Bill Clinton, whether you think it was worthy of impeachment or not, I, I think is worthy of debate. But the president was guilty of a crime, perjury. Uh, in fact, uh, so much so that he... Uh, long after taking office, didn't have his law license to practice in Arkansas because of perjury. There actually were crimes identified. Now, again, people may debate whether or not that is worthy, and that's the challenge with the, uh, the high bar of impeachment. It doesn't define exactly what we're talking about, but, but clearly there are no crimes uh, against this president uh, that could be prosecuted anywhere other than the court of public opinion, which is what the Democrats are trying to do. I mean, think about it. I've said this before, but it's worth repeating. If the Bidens did nothing wrong in, in uh, Ukraine, the Biden family did nothing wrong. If Vice President Joe Biden and his son Hunter 
did nothing wrong in Ukraine, well, then there's absolutely no value to the president. No political value to his campaign, no personal or financial value to him. There's just no value. On the other hand, if the Bidens did do something wrong, if they did do something wrong when Vice President Biden, as he publicly stated on video, we've talked about it many times before, he, he clearly stated that he held up a billion dollars of aid to Ukraine. This is Vice President Joe Biden doing it, not current President Trump. When Biden proclaimed that he held up this money, he did so to get rid of a prosecutor, which, amongst other things, happened to be a prosecutor looking into the company that his son Hunter was on the board of directors of. Now, that may or may not be a legal matter, but it's certainly worthy of investigation. And so if there was something wrong, I think, it, it, as I've said repeatedly, it makes sense the president would ask people to look into it. Remember, he nowhere have I seen or heard any evidence to suggest that the president asked the leader of Ukraine, or anyone else for that matter, to make things up, to, to, to suggest something other than the, the truth. The fact is, if you ask to look into this, as I mentioned, if there's nothing there, then there's no value. He's not telling him to make something up. It's a simple matter of was there something there or was there not something there about the Bidens. If there's nothing there, there's no gain, there's no benefit, if there is something, well, then it's legitimate for anyone to look into this and certainly for the president to want to look into a matter like that. On top of that, you don't need to just look at the statements that Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi made in the past. You can actually look at Nancy Pelosi, Speaker Pelosi's comments, even earlier last year in 2019 when she was pushing off efforts for impeachment. She she suggested it needed to be bipartisan to, to actually have any traction, that there needed to be a high bar and not something they wanted to rush into. Then after they did it, well, you started hearing blurbs of other things, that they've been working on it for the last couple of years. That, I mean, my goodness, you even had the chairman of the Judiciary Committee ran you know, the brochures he had actually pointed out that he was making the case that he was the best suited to go forward with impeachment. Pelosi didn't even wait until she got the transcript of the discussion between President Trump and the leader of Ukraine. No, in fact, in the day she announced the inquiry, the, the transcript hadn't been even out there yet at that point. So it's pretty clear this was a partisan attempt from the get-go. It's one of those that I think will ultimately turn off the American people. Uh, and it's a big waste of time. We said it weeks ago, even more so now, I think Kevin McCarthy's right. He continues to push the argument that if it was so urgent, if they had to rush to take this vote, a rush to action, why would they not send the articles of impeachment over to the Senate? You know, this is all just a big political scam. Anyway, I got some more thoughts about something else that came up on The View with Elizabeth Warren and one of the other things on TV with the Golden Globes this past Sunday. First, we're going to take a quick break. Hey, Scott Walker back on You Can't Recall Courage. Thank you for joining us for a weekly podcast. Yeah, we were, as I mentioned, uh, some of this came up on The View. My wife, was Tonette, was explaining it to me. She said that Elizabeth Warren was on. You know, it's always amazing when Warren gets on because she couldn't condemn the... Uh, all she could talk about was that this is going to bring us in the war. Uh, it didn't. She couldn't condemn someone who'd been largely responsible for hundreds and hundreds of, uh, if not more, deaths out there, um, targeting of Americans, 
efforts to, uh, to attack the embassy, uh, efforts against not only American but allied uh, forces uh, all throughout the Middle East and around the world. Uh, she couldn't condemn this to, to be uh, someone who was uh, evil. Uh, it's just ironic to me, though, when you look at these presidential candidates, uh, Nikki Haley was right the other day when she suggested that about the only people that aren't sorry that the general is dead seem to be the Democrat leadership and the Democrat candidates for president. That may not be entirely true. There may be others out there, but uh, it's just amazing to me uh, the partisan difference. When Barack Obama was, was in office and the American military, under the leadership of President Obama at the time, killed and took out Osama bin Laden, it was a big deal. Republicans and Democrats alike praised it because it was a major deal for America and a major deal for pushing back against terrorism and supporting freedom here and around the world. I think the same thing's true when you look at the leaders of ISIS and now when you look at the, the most prominent leader in Iran in terms of terrorism and in the efforts involved throughout the Middle East and uh, focused on Americans and our allies, this is a big deal. I mean, this is a president now has been in office, has overseen major foreign policy changes. We have an embassy in Israel that's now in Jerusalem, their capital city, uh, even though some said it would bring about all sorts of chaos, it hasn't. Uh, you see a president who's willing to push back against bullies like China and others to try and level the playing field when it comes to trade, uh, benefiting American workers and American farmers in the long run. When you look at the economy and you see the lowest unemployment rate since 50 years ago in December of 1969, the lowest ever for African-American, Asian-American, Hispanic-American, people with disabilities, veterans, and so forth, <coughs> excuse me, it's hard not to argue uh, with all the regulatory reform, with all the tax cuts and everything else that are out there, it's hard not to argue that President Trump's been one heck of a good president. But Elizabeth Warren wants to replace him. And she's talking about the trillions and trillions of dollars. Well, she doesn't talk about the price tag, but, but she was talking about free uh, child care, talking about free tuition, talking about government-run health care. What she ignores are the trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars in new spending that would bring, uh, not to mention the fact when it comes to health care, the fact that uh, about 180 million of us who have our own private health insurance coverage would lose it. So if you like your health care plan, don't get too accustomed to it because it would be gone under Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders' plans out there. <coughs> but Warren, I had to get a kick out of took a jab at former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg, the billionaire who's spending millions of dollars of his own money. I, I see it all the time. Every time I turn on the television set, which is not often, but but even during the Bucks game the other night, there was a Bloomberg out there. Out there. Actually, I saw my first time a Tom Steyer ad. But there's Bloomberg ads because he's ignoring the first four states <coughs> and instead focusing in on some of the early states thereafter. And March 3rd with Super Tuesday, big prices like uh, California, uh, but other states following up along the way. So she takes a shot at Bloomberg uh, as well as took a question from one of the one of the panelists in the view apparently must have talked about how the Democrats are supposed to be the party of inclusion, and yet the stage is increasingly uh, full of white candidates, I might add other than Mayor Pete, old white candidates, um, as though that's just something magically they can, can take care of. And her big response on that was the point that it was about money and access to money. 
Um, then she took a shot at Bloomberg and said that uh, you shouldn't be able to buy an election. I said the irony was just dripping from her comments as she said that because moments earlier she was talking about all the new programs she was going to provide to voters if they voted for her that would cost the taxpayers. It wouldn't cost the government because the government doesn't have any money. They, they don't make anything. The, the government gets the money from us, the taxpayers. So you, the taxpayers, me, the, we, all of us, the taxpayers, would be paying for this. So the irony of her saying that Michael Bloomberg is using money to try and buy an election, money that he actually earned through the, the companies that he created and the people that work with him, instead now she's saying that, that that's buying an election versus her offering trillions of dollars of new benefits that arguably we're all going to pay for, at least those of us who work in the middle class for all the talk that she has about billionaires being the ones that will pay more in her tax plan. Again, that's bogus. Last I looked, there's about 600 billionaires in the, uh, in the entire country, the United States of America. Even if they had to pay a billion dollars more a year in taxes, that still doesn't get you anywhere close to the trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars of new spending that Elizabeth Warren wants to put on if she's the president. Well, that, that's the reality of things. Now, take a switch, talking about TV going from The View to the Golden Globes. I don't normally watch shows like this, but last Sunday the uh, I was sitting with NBC on watching the Seattle Seahawks uh, win their playoff game against the Philadelphia Eagles. And uh, near the end of the game, my wife said, so when are the Golden Globes on and what are they on? I said, I think they're on this station, and they're on right after the game. Sure enough, that was the case. So since uh, the, the guest host was having his, uh, I think this was, well, I think I now know it was his last time. I thought at the time when I was uh, tuning in, this was going to be his last time hosting the Golden Globes. So I thought this guy's a little irreverent. I don't always agree with every joke out there, but uh, I thought it'd be interesting to see. I had no idea how amusing it would be. I mean, he basically went out and called out Hollywood's elitist left for what they were and, and pointed out that, that uh, you know, they most of them hadn't even gone to school as much as Greta, uh, the 16-year-old uh, the climate change activist that sailed across the, uh, the ocean to come over to the United Nations and make her case and basically told them that uh, they had no connection to the real world and they should just get up and give their thanks, thank their God, and, and sit down. Well, he actually said it with a little bit more of a punch than I did. But it got me thinking. And one of the things I wrote uh, about for the Washington Times this week goes beyond just that, that opening monologue, which in and of itself was priceless. But the fact that, you know, these folks are so busy patting themselves on the back, they don't realize that they're really nothing more than Hollywood hypocrites. We've seen it when I point this out about Al Gore in the past and the guy who lives in a home that's many, many, many times larger carbon footprint than homes like that in the same area that he lives in, in the, the Nashville, Tennessee area. The same thing's true with these Hollywood types, Hollywood hypocrites. I mean, my goodness, days before the Golden Globes, they announced they were going to have a 100% plant meal. Somehow that was some pushback on climate change and and. Uh, I scratched my head and thought, did any of these people ever take any basic science courses in high school? Last I checked, plants actually eat carbon dioxide. Uh, it's a whole process, uh, sunlight, 
moisture, photosynthesis. I mean, don't you want more plants? I've argued in the past one of the best ways, one of the most cost-effective ways that doesn't wreck our economy uh, to deal with issues related to climate, to concerns that are out there is let's get out and aggressively pursue a campaign to, 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 uh, to plant more trees here in the United States and around the, the globe. That'd be a great way to do it. It doesn't cost anybody a job. In fact, it actually would be, unlike these other green programs, we'd create some jobs. That's a whole other discussion for a different podcast as well. But, but think about this. These are people who are so busy patting themselves on the back, they don't realize the irony of none of them showed up in mass transit. In fact, their idea of mass transit is a, a stretch limo. You know, the, the, these are people fly around the world. They're sometimes uh, just over from Los Angeles or Hollywood over to, to Palm Springs in their private jets. They, they just don't get it. I thought about that as I watched people like Jane Fonda and Ted Danson and Sam Waterston and some of these other so-called celebrities who show up for, for Friday fire drills in Washington. And you think, how many of them took a plane? How many of them took a private plane to get out there? It's just this unbelievable hypocrisy. People who talk about women's rights, who, who threaten to boycott states like Georgia after they passed pro-life legislation to protect an unborn child when they can feel pain, completely ignore the fact that so many of the films they're involved in are, are filmed in some of the worst places in the world when it comes to women's rights. Heck, the latest Star Wars movie, part of it was filmed in Georgia, top 10 list out there for worse conditions uh, for, for women. You see similar things when it comes to all the woke uh, Hollywood stars and celebrities who, who talk about, uh, not just about marriage, but going far beyond that, about having to do more to protect uh, gender and binary uh, people that are out there, and yet at the same breath, while making themselves proud for standing up for those rights, they ignore the fact that Many movies, again, Star Wars being a good example. Star Wars, near the end of the movie, had a, a brief kiss between two women. It was in the release here in the United States, but they took it out all throughout the Middle East markets and in places like Indonesia and elsewhere where it doesn't uh, it violates the laws that they have there. They didn't make some principled stand saying, well, if you don't show that, we won't release it there. No, they took it out. Why? Because they wanted the money out there. This is the same Hollywood crowd as the monologue mentioned at the Golden Globes who kind of looked the other day when it, way when it came to Harvey Weinstein. And many of them knew Epstein. And many of them still today love to fall over themselves to, to throw praise on former President Bill Clinton, someone who should epitomize the, the problems of the Me Too movement. And, and why well, it's just utterly amazing uh, that they look one way on one group of folks and s a different way when it comes to others out there. A whole bunch of things going on this week. Most importantly, I go back to what happened uh, with Iran. And the simple fact of the matter is this president does not want a war, certainly does not want a war from, with Iran. But when you kill American citizens, when you attack our embassy, what do you expect? And the fact of the matter is this president pushed back. He did so with restraint. Iran had to save face and send some missiles into Iraqi base in order to send a message at home that they were going to avenge this death. But again, they're no fools. They now understand that there's a different president than the one we had before, and this president doesn't allow people to cross the red line. And when it comes to President Trump, the red line's simple. You kill an American citizen, there's going to be, you've crossed the red line, 
and there's going to be hell to pay for it. Thankfully, this president didn't bring on a war. He actually stopped it from happening in the first place. Until next week, I'm Scott Walker. This has been You Can't Recall Courage, our weekly podcast. Until then, keep fighting for freedom.